0: Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's
1: message. Uh, This is uh, the Word of the Lord from Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Wonder if you remember in junior high,
0: You'd go to a dance, and uh, all the boys would stand on one side of the room, and, and all the girls would stand on the other side of the room, and everybody would be looking across the room, hoping that somebody would just please make the first move and walk out on the floor. Walk across and ask somebody, and you sat there, uh, if you were like me, until like almost the entire night was gone and never actually met and talked to anybody. I, I'm afraid that's what's happening in our culture. That more and more and more uh, we're standing on opposite sides of the room, becoming more and more divided, uh, less and less empathetic, less and less and less relational and social, and uh, and no one's going to make the first move. And what's even more bothersome and worrisome to me is how I feel like that's happening within the church, that there are people... Uh, who claim the name of Christ, who are standing on opposite sides of the room and allowing things out in our culture and our practical lives to keep us from ever making the first move. And what this text tells us is that as Jesus is going through this sermon and drawing out what it means to follow Him, He's, he's really laying out as well what it means to be a loving person, uh, what it means to embody Him, And if we will listen to what he says, you can't help but become somebody who will make the first move in a divided culture. And and man, we need people like this in our culture who will follow him and and walk across the floor. So, So let's look at what Jesus says about this. And I hope that you'll become people who will make a first move in a divided culture, in a divided family, in a divided town. Jesus simply says this about this text. Uh, he just basically gives us a who, a what, a why, and a how. A who, a what, a why, and a how. Pretty basic. First, who. If you look with me, it says in verse 43 and 44, uh, again, a similar a language that we, we've looked at before, Jesus says this, uh, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, multiple times uh, throughout this sermon, Jesus is saying this. You have heard that it was said this, but I say to you this. And every single time he does this, what he's doing is he's uh, go, moving into Old Testament case law. And he's moving into a way that it was uh, interpreted, used, and passed along in that community. That is, uh, he's going after not just what the Old Testament says but how they used and practiced that. And and here's what was going on in Israel in that day. The Israelites understood the language, love thy neighbor, to only be applied within the Israelite community. So that what it meant to love your neighbor and do these loving things for your neighbor, you only had to do that with people within your faith community. But naturally, how they interpreted that is if it means to love people within our community and we want to have a holy, pure community without stain, without wrinkle, unpolluted by the foreign nations, well, that naturally means that we're to hate anybody who's not within our community. But what Jesus actually says is, look, this, this language, this this idea of loving your neighbor is not meant to extend only within the faith community. It's meant to go outside of the faith community, outside the walls of the church, and extend it to our, the people in our world. And not just people that um, are worthy of love, but to extend all the way to your enemies. That the love and testimony that Jesus is going after is that you would be a people who would not hate enemies, but pursue them. Now, who are enemies? Well, in the same way that they came to Jesus and said, who is my neighbor? Uh, I, I would like you to consider for a minute, who, who really is your enemy? And I think that there's, there's really three kind of categorical enemies that are, uh, it's not less than this for sure, but there may be some more that are in your life. There, there's ideological ones, there's social ones, and there's personal ones. What do I mean I- ideological? You are to love people from other faiths. That is, people who adopt a different religion than Christianity, Christians ought to have the most loving, caring view towards these people. Now, some of you are uncomfortable with this and wondering where I'm going, but you're falling into a modern mistake of equating love with condoning every part of someone's belief. Look, th- there are lots of proverbs that define a loving relationship as uh, open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I mean, the, 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 the wisdom of that is to say that uh, people you love, you don't just tell them what they want to hear, and you just don't just adopt and let them think and live how they want. If you love somebody, you'll do as Oscar Wilde said, stab them from the front. But loving people means means going protecting their dignity, giving them human rights, protecting them from evil persecution in any kind. And Christians ought not to only go after that for people who share the name of Christ. We ought to do that for anybody in the image of God. And not just other faiths within the walls of the church. You have to do that politically as well. Loving people does not mean I believe and I'm okay with everything that you think is true. It means I'm willing to disagree with you. It's not I'm willing to dislike you. But for many of us, people who have ideological beliefs that are different from us can become quick enemies. And every time that we stand on our ideological beliefs over the idea of loving them, what we're doing is we're taking steps on a tower that get us higher and higher and higher until those people look less and less like a person and more and more like a dot, and it becomes easier to hate them. We don't just have ideological enemies though; we have sociological enemies. What do I mean? Look, all of us have goals. Uh, we have things that we want for our kids, things that we want for our careers, things that we want for our family plans, and anybody who makes it hard, who makes it difficult on our children, who makes it difficult on our career, who gets in the way of that, feels immediately like an an enemy. Like there's somebody who is out to get us, who's out to undo us, who's out to pull the rug out from under us, and we don't just uh, know how to engage that, we want to hate them. But we also have personal enemies. Now, let me caveat this. Um... There's been a lot of stories in the last five years, ten years, about abuse in the church. About things that have happened and sadly how leaders have come to people who have been hurt in the church and said, now the Bible says you must forgive this person. And what that's done is it's mulled over the abuse and minimized it in the name of love and reconciliation, Jesus is not ever pushing away anything painful like that. But some of us have had something so painful done to us, whether it be inside the church, inside of our family, inside of our house, inside of our neighborhood, anything like that, that the pain that somebody caused us makes them almost a lifetime enemy. But But somebody once said, if you don't heal from the wounds that cut you, you'll bleed on those who never did. Those personal enemies will follow you into every avenue of your life unless you identify them and begin to do something about them. Now, with those enemies, Jesus says we are to do something about them and not hate them. Um, now, if, if you watch football or they, you know, any any professional sport, they'll use this language from time to time of pretenders and contenders. And what they mean by this is that there are lots of teams that will start a season, uh, seeming like they're having a great season. They'll start it maybe in football like four or five and O, oh, and some of the people in the media will call them a contender. Uh, why? The reason they call them a contender, excuse me, a pretender and not a contender is that they say, well, their schedule was so easy. They had no competition, so it was no problem for them to be 5-0. and zero. But once they actually get into the thick of their schedule, they're going to be proved to be a pretender and they're going to fall apart. Look, loving people and caring for them is one thing when it's easy and you're only surrounded by the best people in the world. It's a whole other thing when it's applied to your enemies. G.K. Chesterton, he said, love means loving the unlovable or it is no virtue at all. And Jesus is calling you to look at the enemies of your life through his own heart. That's who, but what do we do with them? Well, What do we do? We are to love our enemies. Now, what do we mean by this? Well, I'm thinking of that section, the first part of of when he talks about in verse 38. Uh, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, when Jesus says eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, what does he he mean here? Because this is a famous saying Uh, that people have used in in all sorts of contexts with all sorts of applications. Look, when this was given in the Old Testament, it was never meant to be tick for tack. It was never meant to be a license uh, for revenge or a license for violence. It's not encouraging anything like that. What the mentality was behind this law is that if somebody wronged you, if somebody took something from you, The tendency of our heart is to want to take more from them than they originally took from us. That is, if you went and you hurt uh, someone in my family, I'm going to take out all of you. Uh, There's a a great scene in the movie like 20 years ago, Ocean's Eleven, where uh, Brad Pitt and Matt Damon are walking around a casino and they're talking about robbing uh, Andy Garcia, this big... um, kind of uh, hotel, casino boss in Vegas. And they're sort of talking about the fears and warnings of this. And they say, you, you know, if you, if you knock this guy and we, we rob him and he catches us, he doesn't just go after us. They say, he'll go after you, everything you own. And there's a famous story where he bankrupted somebody's brother-in-law's tractor business in Iowa. And what the law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was, was going after limiting that, saying, if somebody did something to you, okay, it's a broken world, the maximum you can do is to get back what they took from you, but not more than that. And so what happened in Israel is they thought, well, if if that's the limit on revenge, then there's got to be sort of a limit as well on love. That whatever the law says, well, that's as much as we have to do. And Jesus is going after that mentality and he says, no, 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 no. That's not what it means to love. That's not what it means to love your enemy. Is not just to fulfill the requirement of the law, but to go past it. And he gives four illustrations here. And it's important to know that these are illustrations. These are not 100% do it just like this all the time. There's a wisdom and there's a context for how to apply this. But the illustrations are these in verse 39. He says, uh, but if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Look, slapping you on the right cheek, this was not a a brawl in the back of the alley. As if anybody ever attacks you, there's no such thing as Christian self-defense. Slapping you on the right cheek was an insult. It was a social knockdown, but Jesus is saying, When you get disrespected don 't don 't react don 't retaliate. It is not as though uh, the essence of who you are is being knocked away, but then in verse forty he says this, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well, look your tunic uh, was your outer garment your, and your inner garment was covered by your cloak. And what the Old Testament law did is it, is it protected your cloak because that was sort of your bedding. And, and by law, you had the right that no one, if they, even if they sued you, could go after that because that was a human, <laughs> dignified right. And Jesus is saying, don't even let the law protect you from giving somebody something if they need it. Verse 41, it says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now the situation in this was that there was a Roman law, if a Roman centurion or something was carrying something and uh, it was heavy and they needed help, I mean you you could be doing whatever and and they would just grab you, pull you in and say, help me carry this, help me move this. You had to drop what you were doing and, and join in them but the law said you only had to do it up to one mile. So you could be helping them carry this thing you know, to the end of the street, but it's like, well, that's 5,280 feet. See you later, bud. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Take it until the thing is delivered. Go all the way. And then it's verse 42. He says, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He's saying, do not ask conditions. Do not ask what they will do with this. Do not wonder how wise this is to help. He says, just give. See, if if you put limits on love, it ceases to be love. And, And here is why. Because if you have limits, then that person was just a means to another end that they were, uh, they were giving you something that was helping your identity, that was helping your self-esteem, that was helping you get something else that you needed. But if you put a limit on it, then everything that you're doing is to get that thing. And this person is just a means to helping you do that. But what love is, is it says, no, 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 you. You are the person that I care for you are the person that I want to be healed you are the person I want to be in relationship and while the law requires this and gives me a framework for this I'll do anything it takes for you to be restored healed and loved and cared for look in all these things here's what Jesus is saying what it means to love somebody is to take your hands off of your life Look, even where the law protects you, even where the law limits what other people can say and do and take from you, He says, listen, do not ever let that be a box within which love stops. Look, to love somebody means to not appeal to your rights even when it's just and fair and makes absolute sense. Now, some of you have difficult people in your life that I've got to just talk to for about two seconds who uh, have demands, who ask things of you, who require things of you, who manipulate you. That's not what Jesus is talking about, where no matter what, you have to say yes to people. That's codependence. And actually what's happening in there? is you're actually not loving that person, you're loving yourself. And you have such a need to be liked, approved, and on peace and on par with this person that you'll do whatever it takes just to keep them happy. Even if it means bending over and making everyone in your life difficult and putting up with hard conversations and hard moments from that person. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Because what you'll have to do sometimes to take your hands off your life is to tell somebody no. And to actually put down the need to please everybody. But there are so many times that people want to ask things of us, that people want things from us, and we just go, I've done my part. The conditions they want are ridiculous. And Jesus is saying, when we begin to appeal to that, it ceases to be love like Him. you are to love our enemies. Now why? For you and for the world. Let me show you what I mean. Look in verse 45. Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. He's saying this. If you will begin to love people this way, what it will do is it will make the gospel alive in a way it has never been before in your life. Because in verse, th- he goes on to say this. Verse 45, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He's saying, here's how God is. God is, God is so gracious and He is so aggressive to love us that He didn't look at us in our broken rebellion of Him and just say, fine, see ya, and drop us into condemnation and hell. He actually sent His one and only Son to love us, to redeem us, to renew us, but then most of the world didn't even want that, wanted nothing to do with that. After giving up His most precious gift, and God still didn't look at the world and say, fine, Forget you. He still is such a gracious God that He will give rain. He will give care. He will allow this world to be a livable place for those who want nothing to do with Him. Who hate Him. Who mock Him. Who think this is ridiculous and God will never be a God who takes His ball and goes home. And then in verse 46, Jesus says this, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He's saying this. God is so abundantly, aggressively gracious to us. But if you only like easy, nice people in this world, and you don't go across the room and make the first move with the worst enemies in your life, God will love you, but you'll never understand that to the depth and degree that He truly loves you by His grace and grace alone. Corey Ten Boom, the Holocaust survivor, uh, told a story one time when she was speaking about forgiveness, that after the talk, a man came forward who didn't recognize her but she recognized him because he was a prison guard in her Holocaust camp in Ravenbrook. She said while he'd walked up in normal clothes, she immediately pictured him in that horrific uniform with the skull and the cross. And she pictured her family. And the man walked up to her and this is what she remembered saying. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrooks in your talk. I was a guard there. He did not remember me, but I remembered him. But since that time he went on, the man said, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did in there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Young girl, will you forgive me? to this As I stood there, I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven, I could not forgive. My sister Betsy, had died in that place. My father had died in another. Could this man erase her slow, terrible death by simply asking for forgiveness? It could have been many seconds that he stood there with his hand hung, but it, with his hand hung out, but it seemed to be hours, as I wrestled with the most difficult thing in my life. But forgiveness is not an emotion, and I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand to the one stretched out to me as I did an incredible thing that took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands and this healing warmth flooded my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, with all of my heart and for a long moment we grasped each other's hands. The former guard who had tortured my family and the prisoner. I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did right then. I realized it was not my love I tried and didn't have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. But see, if you love this way, it won't just do something incredible for you. It will do something incredible for the world. When he says this in verse 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There he's not saying, get ready and you better nail this. It's not a comment on your consistency. It's a comment on the nature of this kind of love. That God's love is a perfect love. It's not a conditional love. It's not a love that is earned. It is not a love that is temperature driven. It's not a love that is here today and gone tomorrow. It is a counterconditional, grace driven, always committed, out there, open armed love all the time. And Jesus says... You go embody that. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome; be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Prince William tells a story that when he was a little boy, and every time they would go out in public, they'd be waiting on the car and Queen Elizabeth would come up to them and tighten their coat, and tighten their tie, and button it, and look at them and say, royal children, royal manners royal children, royal manners. And what she meant was, you know who you are. You know where you come from. Now you go embody that. And Jesus is saying, you know the gospel. Go live it. This perfect love is yours. Now go show it. And you know, Martin Luther King Jr., his sermon on this text, he says, if you will begin to do this, this will be the most powerful movement of the gospel the culture can ever hear. See, there are, there are lots of faiths. There are lots of uh, philosophies that talk about loving the poor, actually, and loving the hurting. You can even be a proponent of that in secularism, but nobody talks about loving your enemies. And okay, he says this in his message. He says, now there is a final reason that I think Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. There's a power that eventually transforms individuals. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them. And they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with guilt feelings. Sometimes they'll hate you a little more at the transition period but just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It is redemptive and this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There's something about hate that tears down as destructive. So love your enemies. Look, Why do we want to do this? Because this will cement the gospel in you in a powerful way that you may have never, ever known. And it will show the world what the essence of this faith is, which is a God who loves enemies. So how do you do this? How do you begin to do this? How do you begin to become a person like this? The the enemy to to loving your enemy is self-righteousness. It is just a belief that I don't need what you require. That I'm living my life in a certain way. There's something about me. There's something about my morality. There's something about my race. There's something about my income. There's something about all of the circumstances of my life that allow me to look at you and say, I don't need what you need. In in Miroslav Volv, he says, every time we do something like that, love fails. He says, love fails because when self-righteousness is present, what we do is we exclude ourselves from the community of sinners and we exclude our neighbor from the community of humanity. And every single time, that's why hate grows and nobody will make a move onto the dance floor. So how do you begin to do that? You have to understand and you have to know that at the heart of the gospel, what it is, is that you are an enemy and God loved you. Look, on the cross, we're told that when Jesus was dying, what He said, as people were hurling insults at Him, He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the Apostle Paul had to be commenting on that text when he wrote in Romans 5. He says, while we were still enemies not while we were repenting, not while we had inclinations of wanting God, wanting to turn back, while we wanted nothing to do with Him. Christ died for us. He gave Himself up for us. Henry Nouwen, in one of his books, suggests that he says, you, you, you know when, he, when Peter became really a believer? He said, I think Peter became a believer when after Jesus rose from the dead, he found him on that beach, on the heels of having betrayed him and left him and walked away from him, over the pressure of a little slave girl. And Jesus brings up that betrayal. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And now and says he had to hear that question with shame because he knew how much. He'd betrayed him. He knew how low he'd gone to sell him out. And when Jesus restored him, now it says, Peter understood this is not just my friend. This is a man who died for his enemy. Look, Christianity is turning to a God not because you even have spiritual inclinations. It's turning to a God who says, while you hated me, I died for you. And that's the love I offer you at all times, no matter what. You know, what will kill you and never allow you to love your enemies is if you feel like you've got to be worthy enough to accept that. That song that Eli sang, those, those lyrics are so powerful if you tarry till you're better. You will never come at all. All the fitness that He requires is just to feel your need of Him. And this He gives you. This He gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. Listen, let the darkest part of your soul let the love of Christ come to the bottom of it and reconciliation happen, that you can be somebody who will walk across the floor of this culture and love people who no one will love. We could be a community that take a step forward and let Christ do that in us. Let me pray. Jesus, there are so many personal parts to this Lord, there's people in our culture we can't imagine loving. There's people in our workplace we can't imagine being friends with. There's people in our family we can't imagine doing anything but hating. Help us. Lord, help us by Your Spirit become people who embody that perfect love. In Christ's name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.